Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what do the COVID-19 outbreaks tell us about the meat industry in Ireland? If the disease was in the animals, they'd have closed the place. In 2001, meat factories were part of the foot and mouth disease story, with many people learning how the production of meat had changed in the preceding decade, with much more international trade and smaller operators being put out of business. Fast forward to 2020, and we're finding out more about how those big operations are treating not just their animals, but their workers too. So that sentence I said at the start, if the disease was in the animals that have closed the place, is from a worker in a factory with a COVID-19 outbreak in Ireland, as spoken to the Guardian newspaper back in May. There have obviously been many, many outbreaks in meat processing factories in Ireland, so many that there have been shutdowns in Kildare, Leash and Offaly as a result to contain the clusters and prevent community transmission. We know that meat processing plants are the ideal environment for the virus, which just wants to spread itself as much as possible around the world. Those meat factories, they are cold, which the virus likes. There are lots of metallic surfaces, which the virus can survive for longer on. People are working in close proximity and those workers have to shout to one another because they are loud places. And employees often travel and or live together. And this isn't just an Irish problem. Plants across Europe have become epicentres of this pandemic. Why is that? And what do these outbreaks tell us about the meat industry? To answer these questions, I'm joined by Hannah Quinn Mulligan of the Irish Farmers Journal, who has been writing about this for many, many months. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us on The Explainer. As I've said, there is a shutdown now in Kildare, Leash and Offaly as a result of these outbreaks in meat factories. Can you just run through what has been happening there over the last few weeks and what plants it involves? Yeah, so like you said, I guess the HSE, number one, has been aware of outbreaks in meat plants since the 11th of March. But if we just look specifically at these three counties, so there's four plants that have been closed. They're still closed. So that is Carol's Cuisine, which had the lowest number of, of cases with just nine confirmed cases. There was Irish Dog Foods, which had 50 cases. And there was O'Brien's Fine Foods that produces Brady Ham. They had approximately 86 cases. And then Kildare Chilling, um, which we believe has 150 cases, which is the highest. It's important to differentiate. I, uh, some of your listeners might not know the difference between a slaughter and a non-slaughter plant. I know slaughter is a horrible word, but uh, Kildare Chilling is the only one that takes in live animals and processes them kind of on site. And that would have the most immediate impact, I suppose, uh, for farmers. And what we have just learned today quite worryingly, is that even though there's already 150 positive cases in Kildare Chilling, test results have been very slow coming back to Kildare Chilling. So the remaining 200 workers in the plant, those test results are still waiting to be returned. So potentially uh, that could mean more cases and potentially we don't know or not if that would delay the, the lockdown and we don't know when that factory is going to reopen either. You mentioned uh, Brady's Ham there, which is a brand that most people will be familiar with. Um, what other, where else do these um, factories provide food to? Are they exporters? Is it all for the Irish market? What kind of products are they making there? 
Yeah, so I suppose uh, just kind of generally we are an export market. You know, we're an island nation, but we produce food for kind of about 30 million people. You know, it, it's quite impressive what we can do. So uh, 90% of everything that we produce is exported and exports are worth in the region of about 4 billion a year to our economy in terms of meat exports. So it is really, really, really an, an important industry for Ireland. And of course, that's why it was deemed an essential service in the first place and our essential business and that's why we haven't seen that many factory closures despite the fact that there have been 26 clusters um, to date in meat factories um, and some of those clusters have been very large you know we're looking at Kildare Chilling, which is 150 cases. But um, things that we go into in the paper this week is that we've seen um, internal NEFIT uh, briefing documents. And we can say categorically that this isn't the biggest outbreak. The biggest outbreak was actually 214 cases. And that was notified to the HSC at the beginning, uh, kind of from mid-April onwards. And that factory outbreak was still ongoing in June. So we have always known that there could be explosive outbreaks in meat factories. Um, and I guess a question for a lot of people are asking now is if we knew there were outbreaks in Ireland beforehand, why couldn't we put enough measures in place to make sure that there wasn't a second wave in factories? Yeah, and I think a lot of people go to the fact that, yes, it is an essential service. Yes, there's food security at play, but also there are big players. There are a lot of profits. As you said, it's a four billion euro industry. So what are the profits actually like? And is it a concentrated ownership? In, in in this industry? So, yeah, this is something that, you know, meat factory owners are quite sensitive of and they, they anytime you, you know, point a finger at meat factory profits, they in turn point the finger at consumers saying, well, consumers only want to buy cheap meat. And so how, how on earth are we meant to profit from this? But at the same time, you know, it maybe is quite a well-contained industry in some respects that, you know, the main players are key pack, they are Larry Goodman's ABP, they are Dawn, which is owned by the, the, the Queeley brothers, they're kind of the main players. And actually then Kildare Chilling is one of the few independent um, factories that are out there. And the closure of Kildare Chilling has had a very big impact on farmers because they see it as independent. And if you take into account that, say where I'm from in Limerick, actually every week in Limerick, uh, cattle farmers send up a large load of cattle to Kildare Chilling because they feel like they get a better price from them for them in Kildare Chilling than they would in uh, meat factories down in Limerick. So that's just to kind of give you an example of how that works out. So it's not really a capacity issue in Ireland. We'll always have capacity probably to process animals. Um, it's more of a competition issue. And that's what farmers are feeling at the minute, that pinch in competition with the loss of Kildare Chilling. So the, I, I guess farmers are, are really keeping an eye on whether these plants will remain closed or whether more plants will close, because obviously that will impact the price of, of their cattle. Yeah, that could be it. Or their sheep as well. I think it's important to note that, um, that while predominantly we have cattle farmers in Ireland, then there are sheep and pig farmers as well. And they're a much smaller cohort. So if, say, it's not a really as big a deal if a cattle plant closes, but it's a really big deal if a sheep plant like Kildare Chilling it does sheep and beef or a pig plant closes. So what we're ve we were very concerned about was when Ross Derrick closed because um, we were actually informed that 
pig farmers were told that they had loads of pigs either cancelled that couldn't be processed because they didn't have enough workers working on the line. So that was a major concern. And actually, what we know as well is that the HSE do seem to be cracking down a bit. And we've been told that a fairly large scale meat factory in the south of the country has been told that it's on its last warning, that if it has one more outbreak of COVID-19, it's going to be temporarily shut down. So factory management nationwide are on high alert now because they don't want to see an outbreak that potentially triggers a local lockdown in their area so that's what everyone's kind of looking out for at the minute and what happens in in that case if there are would there ever be too many animals that need to go to a slaughterhouse in ireland or what would be the case then if if farmers can't bring their animals to where they usually would if I mean, there was a horrific scenes, absolutely horrific scenes in America with outbreaks and um, where we saw thousands of not even maybe millions of, of um, particularly pigs culled because there weren't enough workers working in factories because they were sick with COVID-19. And actually, the US food giant Tyson Foods wrote that kind of famous advert that was in The New Yorker at the time, saying that you know the food chain is actually breaking. So that was a huge concern. Um, um, whatever your views on eating animals or not eating animals, I think everyone agrees that they shouldn't be cold if they've been you know, created to go into the food chain. It's, it's a terrible waste. So for Ireland, like I said, it's very unlikely that we would see that um, capacity problem unless, it, unless we were to get more outbreaks in the pig industry. The pig industry is the most vulnerable to something like that occurring and because there is such a high turnover of pigs and also pig farmers as well. They're one of the few pig types of farmers who don't get any subsidies as well. So they're usually really good operators and they have all their numbers in line, they have their Excel sheets, they know what pigs they need to move at certain times because more pigs are going to be born. And so they're the ones who are most vulnerable to COVID-19 outbreaks. So that's part of the concern for the industry is just trying to keep an eye on that. You've mentioned his name already, but Larry Goodman does keep coming up as part of this conversation in the Irish Times this week, as well as in online commentary. He doesn't own any of the plants, though, in Kildare, Leash or Offaly at the centre of this lockdown. So why are people discussing him? Who is he? Yeah, uh, I, Larry Goodman is um, probably the most famous octogenarian in Ireland, if not even Europe. Sometimes you sometimes you wonder. So uh, he owns. We we can say he owns the uh, the meat group ABP, and uh, famously, somewhat, I think. 30 years ago now, if, I, if, I, if I'm right, the doll was recalled from its summer recess um, to essentially bail his company out after uh, a credit scheme um, went bust, basically, and uh, the doll had to bail his company out. But his his name is synonymous with the meat industry and an uh, investigation that myself and a couple of colleagues did last year actually found that he uh, runs a, quite an elaborate tax system, you could say, uh, with various companies uh, in Luxembourg. And uh, he makes a healthy profit from that. And farmers are aware of that. And there's a lot of resentment towards Larry Goodman or a lot of mixed feeling. But it's funny as well, at the same time, one farmer you go to that will always be resentful of Larry Goodman and the profits that they feel that he's making. And then on the other hand, you can go to a farmer and ask him about Larry Goodman and they'll tell you that he is uh, the bee's knees because before Larry Goodman came along, they were always waiting for their check when their cattle were killed. But with the ABP, you get your check in the post nearly straight away.
away. So uh, there's mixed feelings out there, but it is a name that will spark a reaction if you want one from a farmer. Actually, one of our business reporters, Ian, has a piece that we'll link to in the Explainer article about how our examinership process in Ireland started as a result of that uh, doll recess being ended early 30 years ago with everything that was happening with Goodman and the Middle East situation. Anna, could you just run through what it's actually like to work in a plant and some of the things that have made um, workers there more susceptible to uh, contracting COVID-19? Yes, yeah, so it's been discussed at length and not just nationally, but internationally. But if we focus on Ireland, some of the concerns that have been raised is uh, social distancing and PPE has been a big one as well. And, and to give you some examples, say, where where protocols have been put in place, but they're a bit counterintuitive. So we have the example of meat factory workers saying that their plant is really keen on two metres social distancing, long processing lines, but at the same time, their method of clocking in and out for shifts is a fingerprint ID system. So they have to put their bare hands into that fingerprint ID system, you know, multiple times a day when they're clocking in and out. I guess plants can also be quite noisy places, and we know that the virus can travel by air when people are talking or sharing shouting to each other and they're also quite cold they're they're famously cold it's one of the things that gets repeatedly said to me by workers um and there are kind of horror horror stories of you know meat factory workers getting their fingers slightly frozen after 10 hour shifts and that kind of thing which is really really unpleasant Um, and I I guess there's another example and this was one that was submitted to the Oireachtas committee when they had their meeting a few months ago and that was that a meat factory was very concerned over social distancing so they locked workers out of their changing rooms but the issue then arose that the women who have to get changed because you get changed into overalls and PPE gear for your shift then had to get changed in the hall wait with all the other members of staff looking on so that obviously wasn't great um, but you know all that aside some factories have been managing to adhere to protocols and there haven't been any complaints from some factories and I think um, it's not exactly unfortunate um, but de- definitely that the meat industry has been challenged by putting HSC protocols in place during COVID-19 as have a lot of businesses. In in terms of what happens, you mentioned some of the factories are slaughterhouses and some aren't. So some of them are killing live animals um, within. How does that happen? So um, how it happens is, if I take you through the whole process, is that, you know, a farmer or a someone who's been contracted by the farmer will bring cattle up say for example just cattle cattle sheep pigs bring cattle up you have your box you reverse your cattle box into kind of a holding pen area and you let down your ramp and your cattle go off and it is a very clean facility I mean it has to be we're talking about food here and the hygiene levels do have to be very high as well and usually there'll be a vet on the premises as well and they'll be checking that animal welfare um, standards are being met so you know, if farmers were to turn up with a really lame animal or something like that, you know, that just wouldn't be on and potentially you'd get into serious trouble with the factory for that and the vet would write you up as well. So the animal is unloaded. They go into a very, very clean holding pens. I've been there. I've dropped cattle off. It's like the cleanest marsh you've, you've ever seen. Um, and it's surprisingly calm, which is bizarre. And I'm not just saying that it is surprisingly calm. All the cattle are in um, quite wide holding pens. And then when it comes to killing, it's done by electrocution and it's done very quickly. 
um, and then they're moved along the processing line and it's partly machine, but mainly then it has to be done by hand. So there are butchers and uh, there are packing meat operatives as well. And I guess just to go back to your earlier question asking about conditions. So we do know um, there's a permit system in Ireland um, for non-EU workers and they get about 22,000 euro every year is the minimum salary they have to be on for the permit system. And for a deboner, which is a butcher, a slightly more skilled job, and they get 27,500 euro. But I don't think anyone can say that it's a pleasant job. You know, I, I don't think anyone would really say that. Um, it can be repetitive and uh, it could be tough and it can be cold. Um, and uh, that's why the meat industry finds it so hard to recruit in Ireland and why we have so many foreign workers uh, working in our meat plants as well. Yeah, I was going to ask that. So more than half of the people who are working in plants are, are migrant workers. Is it because the skills aren't here or does there's no wish of Irish people to learn those skills or a mix of both? Yeah, it, it's not quite the half. So it's about uh, 20% is from outside the EU. So they'd be kind of classed as um, migrant workers and they're on permits and about and over 2000 permits have been issued since 2018. They're issued by the Department of Business and uh, meat industry has to pay 1000 euro per permit. They have to provide things like accommodation and possibly language classes as well if they're needed. So that's about 20% of that. And then about 50% are from EU countries, mainly Eastern Europe. And some of those people have been here for quite long, actually, um, and have kind of set up kind of lives and have families here. And then the remaining 30% are Irish people uh, but then uh, as well. So that's just kind of the rough breakdown. And how's the recruitment done on those permits? Do the companies actually have to go out and advertise in other countries? Yeah, so for the permit system, the meat industry has to prove that they can't get the workers in Ireland and they have to prove that they've advertised for those positions in Ireland. And even if you go into Google and, you know, click on meat operatives and that kind of thing, I think Keypack are looking for about 100 at the minute. But I guess most workers, Irish people, don't want to work for €22,000 a year. And I guess an interesting case of you know the struggles that the meat industry faces recruiting is that we are following a story of a recruitment agency AA Euro recruitment group and we covered the story about two weeks ago I think it was on our front page and it turned out that this uh, recruitment agency were bringing over Romanian workers uh, to work in a cork meat plant and they got them to sign a contract which essentially meant that they were sole traders in Poland so even though they're physically working in Ireland, some of them for up to four years, they're on these Polish sole trader uh, contracts and all of their contributions, tax contributions were being paid in Poland, not in Ireland. So that was an issue when the pandemic hit and those workers needed to self-isolate and try to access the illness benefit, because for that benefit, you need Irish PRSI tax contributions and the workers didn't have that. And also going back in time, there were issues as well, say for, for example, one woman uh, was sending her child to school here and she was on the sole trader contract and when she was struggling to pay for the bus fee for her child she was told oh well you know you can access this grant and that'll help you pay for the bus so she tried to access the grant but then of course she couldn't because once again her tax contributions were being paid in Poland not being paid in Ireland so she wasn't eligible for it so that's just one example it's not and it's not known how widespread that issue is in Ireland. If we take Germany, for example, um, 
they have banned the use of subcontracting from January next year. And it's estimated that two thirds of the 90,000 workers in Germany are operating through subcontractors. We know a lot about these clusters now in Kildare, Leash and Offaly, but less about the other ones that have happened across the country. What do we know about those clusters? A story that we cover in the paper this week is basically the NEFET document that we've seen. So the first outbreak was notified to the HSE on the 11th of March. And from that period, from uh, from March until April, over 90% of the cases that we saw, the large scale cases, were notified to the HSE. So there were 20 clusters by the beginning of June, but 90% of those had occurred between March and April. And actually six of those cases um, had over 100 cases of COVID-19. So six of those uh, meat factories the outbreaks in them, over 100 workers had tested positive for COVID-19. And in one instance, 214 workers tested positive for COVID-19. So this was all information that NEFID were given that was submitted to them at the start of June. So they always knew that there was the possibility for explosive outbreaks because those six facilities represented over well, almost 80% of all cases of meat factory workers. So by June, there was about 1,024 workers that tested positive for COVID-19. And about 820 of those were just from those six facilities. So while we know that it's possible to put measures in place in meat factories that clearly help to prevent the spread of COVID-19, The questions remain over why issues in these six weren't dealt with and also why lessons weren't learned from those six outbreaks as well going forward. We've we've also heard a lot about um, inspections. What has been happening with inspections of meat factories since since COVID outbreaks and then since the start of June where all of that information has been known? Yeah, so essentially what happened was when the pandemic hit, the Health and Safety Authority suspended inspections um, over fears of the pandemic and those fears of their inspectors getting the virus. They have 67 uh, field inspectors that cover not just meat factories, but kind of all business premises across Ireland. And it seemed as well that maybe things were getting lost between the cracks in agencies and that's something that the Migrants Council have said that different departments weren't liaising with each other. So it's important to realise that the Health and Safety Authority are actually under the remit of the Department of Business. So when people ask the the Minister for Agriculture why there weren't inspections in meat factories, well, he essentially doesn't really know because it's not under his remit. So Meat Industry Ireland came out during the pandemic and said that vets working within factories were overseeing the verification of HSE protocol. And then Minister for Agriculture, Michael Creed, disputed that. I spoke to him directly and he said the only remit that factory vets had was over food hygiene and animal welfare. So that 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 was a stumbling block for the for the meat industry. And then it went on as well, because not only were the vets not seeing overseeing uh, the health and safety protocol in factories, but also it turned out that uh, HSA inspections hadn't started in factories until the beginning of June, even though they'd received several complaints about meat factories and 
COVID-19. And then it emerged on top of that, that all the inspections that they subsequently carried out, um, and they carried about 33 inspections from uh, the start of June to mid-July, uh, nearly all of them uh, were uh, pre-announced and factories were given 24-hour notice before arrival. And this is also thought to be uh, as, as due to COVID-19 and uh, trying to make sure that you know social distancing would be in place. But of course, then you have TDs and you have the Migrants Council of Ireland saying, well, what's the point of inspections if they are on, if they're announced and it gives the time for factories to prepare and put in place measures that perhaps wouldn't normally be in place is the argument. Is two metre social distancing um, viable in meat factories? Because there's been mixed messages about that. There has. And actually, the head of the meat industry in the UK has come out and basically said that two metre social distancing isn't really feasible in factories um, for a number of reasons. Um, meat factories weren't made for social distancing. I think we all know maybe most uh, workplaces weren't made for social distancing. Now we're returning to work. But also as well, uh, he pointed out that it was quite difficult, say, for a deboner deboning a carcass to kind of wield a knife um, when perspex screens are in place um, that that would be a concern. There's also been a German investigation into the large outbreak that was in their Tony's plant as well um, and they've discovered that the low temperatures in meat plants um, are it's really conducive to the spread of the virus. So usually we think two meter distancing is adequate, but if in low temperatures, you would need something like eight meter distancing to be adequate to ensure that the spread of the, that you wouldn't get the spread of the virus. So that's part of the issue as well in meat plants. Yeah, so you've mentioned Germany there, and this isn't just an Irish problem. Um, I, there have been outbreaks in the UK as well. Um, you've done some work um, about the Anglesey poultry plant and what happened there. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's an interesting one in terms of its response time. So it's a two sisters plant, which I know is a strange name, two sisters, It's but it's a poultry plant, quite a large poultry plant on the Isle of Anglesey. And uh, the outbreak, it sounds like, was immediately notified to the authorities and the factory reacted really quickly in um, shutting down the factory and making sure that workers were self-isolating. And it, But it was still decided that there would be a local lockdown in the area, and that seems to have been quite successful um, because it seemed to have stemmed the spread of the virus and uh, the authorities were all, all patting themselves on the back afterwards. But I guess, I suppose I'm repeating myself at this stage, but it, that happened around the June and we also had the large outbreak in Germany happening around June as well and we know how important it is to learn from other countries say for, from New Zealand when they had their 100 days of Covid free which might is no longer the case I know but at the time it was very impressive and um, so we're all learning about the virus and how best to tackle it and lots of questions now around why didn't our health authorities just look across the water and see that there was the potential for explosive outbreaks um, and that local lockdowns might have to be a possibility. In terms of the workers in the in the factories, I know there have have been only a handful who have, who have spoken to the media, but their their trade unions and, and advocacy groups like the migrants rights group have talked a lot about the conditions. Will any of those conditions change as a result or have you any insights into that? I think there's been such a spotlight on the meat industry, it would be really hard to see how something couldn't give somewhere, how there wouldn't be some changes somewhere. Um, at the same time, 
it is important to stress that you know some workers in some plants are perfectly happy with with their conditions and perfectly ha happy with the way they're being treated but i think everyone can agree that the concerns over access to things like sick pay um is really really concerning and especially given that a lot of these people have uh, difficulty because they don't speak English. You know, it's very hard to move to another country and to not speak the language. It's very hard to learn about what your rights are, what your entitlements are. And so I think that there's probably a lot more emphasis going to be put on that going forward. Is there much regulation? Because one of the other things we hear a lot about is that accommodation is provided by the by the meat factory owners um, to to their staff. Is there any regulation on what kind of accommodation that has to be? Or is that possibly a place where improvements could be sought as well? Possibly uh, an area, uh, area that could be improved. I, I mean, something in the story we covered with the recruitment agency was we actually got our hands on a Department of uh, Social Protection document that there, where there was a ruling in the case where they basically said that the Romanian worker could not be treated as a sole trader, had to be treated as an employee. And it also outlined how when the recruitment agency was paying the worker, they also deducted money from his wage for accommodation and for accountancy fees as well. So just just to add a bit of salt to the wound that, you know, that they had set him up as a sole trader and then were deducting accountancy fees. So I think uh, practices like that will definitely be reviewed. And I think speaking to Adele McGinley of the Migrants' Rights, Rights Council, she's very concerned uh, about the potential of recruitment agencies and how they operate as well. But uh, then again, there is something that has to be said, and I'm not trying to make excuses for meat factories, but it's a little bit like the London Irish that when all the Irish went, people went to Ireland, went to London and look, I'm an Irish person that went to London. You hang out with other Irish people. So if you're in a factory that's kind of in the middle of nowhere, and a lot of the factories are in very, very rural locations, and you know, you're one of a handful of people that speak the same language, you're probably going to hang out together. And so even if the fact if your factory has been quite good in maybe implementing social distancing, and um, chances are when you come out of it that you're going to hang out together. So that's probably part of the thing as well. You know, a lot of people say, well, did the outbreak start in the factory or did it start outside the factory? How are we ever going to know? Because it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. I was struck by something that I read in the British Medical Journal last month about the meat industry, about how it's highly profitable, obviously, across the world. And it's a major driver of both um, antibiotic resistance and climate breakdown. So there are two two huge problems that the, the world has. And it, it it would be hoped that people would um, change their habits as a result of that. The authors of this paper said people may come to reflect on how they get their meat, what they are prepared to pay for it and what conditions they expect the animals and the workers to endure so they can have it. Do you think that COVID-19 will be the third thing or one of many things that people will will eventually look and say, look, we do have to change our habits? Uh, obviously, there has been fairly large movements towards vegetarianism and veganism, um, but as a global population, we still demand massive access to cheap meat. So if I give you a crystal ball to predict what could happen next, could this change? I really, really hope so. I really hope so, because I think, and I've been harping on about it, that this situation that we see ourselves in now is that we saw farmers protesting last year over the lack of profits, and we see the situation with meat factory workers now. And I think it's just basically why it's happened is because of a cheap food policy that's being driven home. And 
I'm I have no problem in saying, you know, I have a major issue with buying cheap meat. And actually, for most of the week, I can even be vegetarian. <laughs> I, say, I say that thinking, oh, God, if, if people in the office hear me, what will they think? But I was previously a vegetarian for a little while, just while I kind of worked out the whole climate thing around beef and uh, also around just kind of that cheap food policy and its impact on people as well. So I would much rather save my money by not eating meat one or two days a week and then buy really good quality meat where I know the animals had been treated really well and I knew um, where it had come from then to see kind of this cheap food policy proliferate which seems to be the case at the minute and I would kind of encourage everyone to do that and to look at that so that would be my hopes from all of this that people will go into supermarkets and they will say no, I'm not going to buy six burgers for a euro. I'm going to spend my money really wisely. I'm going to source it either locally from a local farmer um, or I'm going to, you know, make sure that I only buy organic or that kind of thing. Because I, I think, I hope that something comes out of, the, of this is that we as consumers really, really look at the provenance of our food and the impact of that. And I think it's a trend that we're seeing with clothes. When there was a big outbreak in a clothing factory in England, um, you know, there was a huge spot light put on that industry and how workers are treated so i hope that we see you know people who are as equally interested in clothes and workers being treated well in clothing companies i hope that uh, that's kind of passed along to the meat industry as well and people start buying more for food and realize that they have to pay more for food yeah it'll be an interesting one to see especially when you do look back at that coverage from 2001 about the foot and mouth uh, disease and how little did change in in the long term but thank you so much hannah for joining us today on the explainer thank you very much for having me it's been great thank you for listening to the explainer and a big thank you to hannah for her work if you read the journal you may have seen our appeal in the past few months for you to support our journalism it's obviously a difficult time for media as advertising revenues have fallen drastically during the pandemic but we are and want to keep providing you and the rest of our 800,000 daily users with valuable accessible journalism loads of you felt it is important for society to have that open access to news and good information like this podcast and have contributed a lot of you asked if there was a way you could give more regularly so now we have options to become a regular contributor and if this is something you'd like to do please head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute if you enjoyed this chat and learned something we have loads more for you check out our back catalogue where you'll find other shows on the coronavirus and much more this episode of the explainer was brought to you by executive producer christine bohan producer Eva barry and assistant producer and tech operator nikki ryan if you're enjoying these episodes please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts and most importantly share with a friend who you think will enjoy them thank you and catch you next time <laughs>